Hey everyone, it's Chris Merman coming to you one last time. Hope your uh, your holidays are going smooth. We're at the twelfth principle, so our twelve days of Agile ends with principle number twelve, which is lovingly referred to as the retrospective principle. We uh, we get into it with some really 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 uh, uh, I would say talented people on the idea of retrospectives. What's interesting about the retro uh, that Colleen, Troy, Andy, and myself discuss is we're you know we're seeing this in like a, okay we're 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 getting we're doing the retros are we getting anything out of them or how how do we get the most out of them and I feel like that conversation hasn't necessarily changed or ended in as we come to the near end of twenty twenty one. I do feel, though, that of all the principles, I feel like, you know, it's funny. I I feel like a lot of the principles have taken a new context, you know, post-COVID and quarantine. But retrospectives have as well. You know, are we doing them in a remote world? Yes. Are they more challenging? Yes. I've heard some really interesting stories from, from Scrum Masters of how teams are coming up with improvement items? Are they more tactical than they used to be? Are they more holistic and big picture than they used to be? Are we addressing things that are really slowing us down? You know, are we addressing technical concerns? Do Are we, are we just in this remote world of just, just keep cranking out work after work after work? Those are some of the things that Colleen and Troy, Andy and myself get into. Um, I will say in particular, though, that we should really be thinking of, like, are we even getting anything at all? Am I saying that we should end retrospectives and never do them again? No. I just wonder, um, is the meaning different? And and I don't mean that to put down any any of the ways that you all are running retros out there, because I am the last person that should be throwing throwing stones because they, they come from a, a glass house, right? I, I'm, I, I want to say that when I was a scrum master, I enjoyed retros and I did pretty well at them. Um, I, everybody just falls into their own habits. You'll, you'll hear there are things that I was bringing up in this conversation that was from my lens, like this is how I was receiving it. Whereas Troy had a really unique way of, of making retrospectives a daily activity in smaller, more meaningful ways. I heard... Andy, you know, and, and, and Troy talk about how we celebrate those, those things that we do, how we collect the small, small wins, the small victories and such. Um, you know, those things are still, they're still important and they're still necessary. They've just changed, right? I feel like retros have changed so much. And, and, you know, I, I, I wonder like, how will, how will we on the other side of this, how will we, how will we make retros better? How will we make that, uh, for lack of a better way to put them, how will we make them great again? Or, or were they great in the first place, you know? So um, let us know in the, you know, let us know in Discord. How are you doing retros differently? How have they impacted your teams differently? Um, there's definitely some great stuff in here. Uh, I do think, though, that as we, we move into 2022, I think this is something that we could all agree that we could double our efforts on, redouble our efforts, however, whatever measurement of the effort. I think this is something that 
we could use even more fresh perspective on and, and some kind of coaching each other aspect to it. So enjoy the listen. I, I really thank everybody for, for joining us with uh, another listen to 12 Days of Agile. If you've come back again to listen to it, thank you for listening to it with fresh eyes like like I've done. Um, if you're new to this, I, I'd love how, how you take these. Um, how they how they've impacted you. So so let us know on Discord. Let us know on LinkedIn, Twitter, all the socials. But um, thanks again, everybody, for listening, and and hope the rest of your twenty twenty one is amazing. This is Jason Little, the world's greatest cold fusion developer, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising podcast. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me twelve dwamas dwamin, eleven pipers piping, ten lords a leaping, nine ladies dancing, eight made them milking, seven swans swimming, no more geese, five golden eggs, four calling by three French hens, two turtle doves, and a fortress in a pear tree. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. This is thankfully the final episode of the 12 Days of Agile. I'm joined tonight by my colleagues, brothers and sisters in Agile, Colleen. Hello. Troy. Hello. And Merman. We did it. (laughs) We made it to 12. We finally just broke out the sound effects. (laughs) Can you believe we held on this long? Okay. The 12th Agile principle goes as follows. At regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. The format for tonight's show will loosely follow Jay's four questions. Why is this principle important? Can you share some personal examples where this principle was not paid heed to and what resulted? Yes, it's confession time. If we had to challenge our listeners regarding this principle, how would we? And the fourth in our favorite, if we were to redo the actual curl, what would we title this step? Ah, retrospectives. Colleen, you seem to enjoy a good retro. I do. I love them. Why, why is this principle important? Well, I think it, you know, I, I think there's obvious benefit to the concept of continuous inspection and adaption and, and continuous improvement. But I think one of the things that's so important for this, and I feel like I'm being reminded of this right now, kicking off a, you know, a brand new ground up transformation project is that I think the the process of retrospectives really help teams take their practices and make them their own. Grum is a guide and Kanban is a guide. And these are guides to how you can use Agile. But the process of regularly reflecting on what's working for you or not working for you as a group helps you figure out how to tweak those practices or tweak what your team is doing so that you can really own your process. And I, and I keep coming back to that right now with this transformation effort and encouraging the team, start with this, you know, start with this, this foundation and this um, guide, and then use your retrospectives to make this process your own and make it work for you. And I think that gives people a greater sense of ownership over how they're delivering. What Colleen just soft pedaled is, I, I will say it in, in fewer words, like if you're not doing this principle, then not, the rest of them don't matter. The whole point of everything is to stop and see what are we doing? Does this make sense? 
Like Colleen's dead on. Like we have to we have to slow down to inspect, right? But bar none, you you have to stop. You have to say, does this work? Because most of the time it doesn't. Like we there's no way we can cookie cutter this. Right. I remember reading somewhere that in the early days of Scrum, there may not have been a prescribed ceremony called retrospective because teams would just fix shit on the fly when they could. They they thought, no need to wait. If we can fix this now, why wait? I'm curious, Troy, the, the first part at regular intervals, what do you coach teams in the meaning of that phrase? What's a regular interval? Well, you know, the standard scrum way of doing things is on average, let's say most teams do two-week iterations, right? So most teams, they do their retrospectives every two weeks. It's generally people do like hour long. And I think that's a great way to just get it on a calendar and have like a dedicated time to do it. But I recommend doing it every day, even if it's just small amounts. And when you're, when you're looking at your task board or your burn down charts, figuring out, you know, how can we improve from even yesterday? And maybe it's, it's not like a formal thing, but it's more or less getting into the culture of the team you know, in the organization. Great point, Troy. Thank you. Why wait? So who wants to take this toss-up question? What does it mean to become more effective as a team? Mm. So one of us is going to have to say it depends, right? So I'll get it out of the way. <laughs> that said, now that I've gotten the consultant answer out of the way, I feel like the teams already kind of know, or at least this is my experience. And tell me all if you disagree. There, There's obviously things underneath the surface that they don't understand. But for the most part, I start with a, a program or a set of teams or even a single team, right? And I say... Tell me what's going on. And you interview them and you do the thing where you go, tell me tell me what you like about your job, and what you don't like about your job, and what frustrates you most, and what would you change if you could. And you do all those interviews, and then you start off with your first iteration. Most of the time, they know their problems already. We could say whatever we want about our teams. They're not dumb, right? Like, the people that we work with are really intelligent people. They just don't have the either the understanding of how to step forward or the courage to step forward or someone to give them the cover to say, I feel like this needs to be done. Otherwise, they would have done it already, right? Let me see if I get you. From your perspective, early on becoming more effective might simply be challenging the status quo. Right. Organizationally, there are things in place that keep them from changing, right? They could be political they could be organizational or hierarchical. They could be or, or something that I can't even come up with an O for. One of these things is in place. And Andy, you and I have talked about these many times. There are many institutional things in place that keep people from standing up and saying, I want to do things differently. So maybe some of that's autonomy. Exactly. So Troy, you touched on more frequently than at the end of an iteration. Right. What are some of the benefits you see from that? Well, if you approach this, let's say your daily scrum or your, or your, you know, whatever stand-up format you're using, if you approach it as one, you one, we coach it as a planning meeting instead of a status update meeting, but also kind of a mini continuous improvement opportunity too. So what are the benefits? Is that what you're, that you're asking? Well, what do you see? I'm curious because there, there's several concepts that come up about improvement. It's small, gradual improvements, large improvements. Okay. Fair enough. So um, something that James actually said on a previous podcast in this series, which I thought I have done 
I coached something similar, but I haven't used this word the way he's phrasing it. But now I actually started using it in, in real life work. And I, I think um, this could give an example. So if you look at your daily scrum, right, you have your, um, your task board, right, or your story, whatever, if you're using task stories, whatever. And the question, instead of using the three questions, you ask like, okay, how do you want this board to look tomorrow? Like that's the main question. How how should this board look tomorrow, and how should this burn down chart look? Tomorrow? What should it look like? God, that's amazing. And then, and then like that's the question. And then everyone has to discuss what it's going to look like and how are we going to get it there. Just shifting the mindset from I did this yesterday to how are we going to improve because it's going to take constant improvement to get things done differently every day, right? Especially when you look at it. Let's let's say you're using a story burn down chart, right? and you you have ten sprint days. Day four goes by. And your story burned down is still flat, right? Like it's pretty common for a lot of teams, you know. It, and and if people aren't using kind of information radiators like this, then they they may not realize that you know sprints in jeopardy or whatever they're doing is not really on track. So little things like this can help you in your daily. If you're using sprints, if you're using iterations, even even if you're just using Kanban, if you're using a flow base, looking at okay our cycle time, looking at these types of if you want to call them information radiators or, or metrics, looking at it every day, not just like once in a while, right? <laughs> and using that as ways to improve. Also using things that came out of your retro. It's interesting that the Scrum uh, new Scrum guide actually has this mandatory now that there has to be one retro item in your, in your uh, next sprint backlog. So even uh, they have embraced this uh, idea of it was always supposed to be there, but I guess they didn't mandate it. And now in, technically in Scrum, you know, that they mandate this practice now. Let's not restart that podcast that you just did a couple weeks ago, Troy. <laughs> Troy, you've been talking for a bit, but I want to press on this because you said something really interesting. The genius part of that is how do I want this bo- like how do you want this board to look like tomorrow? So all right, so take me back to that situation, right? What happens when you have a team? Right. And it doesn't look different or it doesn't look the way they wanted to, like Tell me, tell me as a coach, like, how are you taking them through that? Because that's brilliant. You just ask questions, you know, okay. Literally, like what's, you can use five whys today. For example, today I use five whys without saying I use the five whys, but I just kind of use it in a conversation and it really brought, it really, we, I think we got down to four and we got the answer, right? You don't have to go away to five, but just ask questions like, okay, guys, well, kind of like you would in a retro, you know, like what happened, right? Okay. Yesterday we talked about the board. You wanted to look this way. Today it doesn't. What happened? Oh well, we had this impediment, or I don't have this skill set. I, you know, I tried to work on this, but I didn't have the same skill set or whatever. So then that shows you more areas of improvement to work on, maybe for future sprints if you can't do it this sprint. And one of the ways I like to do that is sit down with scrum masters and develop like a a plan for, you know, creating cross functionality. That's something I've been doing recently. Stuff like that. So you you'll find things just out of these daily uh, daily standups. If you if you're approaching it from this angle, a lot of things to improve on that you don't even have to wait to the retro to get to. Troy, with those examples, do you struggle at all to to make things small enough that you can follow up on them the next day and not lose track of them? I really love the idea of of, of continuous retrospectives and just making them part of the daily conversation. I feel like when I've tried it, that's the part I lose. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for us there. When you say making things small enough, can, are you talking about stories or what specifically what are you referring to? 
just the action items or the improvements that we want to come out of it. So I think that, you know, when we're doing them daily and saying, you know, we need to increase our unit test coverage, for example, how do we do that in a way where we, you know, we can talk about it again tomorrow, but when do we talk about it again to see that we're making that improvement or how much time do we need before we follow up on it again? It's not just talking about the things, because I think that's what you're getting at, Colleen. It's, it's great to talk about them, but you actually have to implement change. So uh, tell us about how that works, Troy. Uh, I think there's two questions there, but one question, Colleen, is, and um, you might hate me, but I would say it depends, but <laughs> I think it actually depends on what it is. If it's something that can be improved from day to day, <laughs> it could be an impediment. It could be a way of a, something that's a small change of way of working. Maybe yesterday we didn't pair at all. Today we're tomorrow we're going to try to pair. Today we're going to try to pair because we know that it, we have to. This is a cliche thing, but uh, stop starting and start finishing, right? So if we if we know we're going to do that, then we need to pair on things and, and reduce our work in progress. Um, and that's something that you can probably day to day change. Like how are we working together? You know, bigger things like oh, we need to have a certain percentage of unit test coverage. That might take longer to get to, obviously. So I do think it. You can go retrospective to retrospective. You have bigger items, but you could have things throughout each day that you can adjust on. And those might be more or less ways of working together, collaborate, collaboration type of things. Uh, another example is I've worked with um, a lot of teams in the past where once they got to a high-performing state, they stopped tasking things out and they just worked on stories. And because they didn't really need to, they felt it was a waste of time. And what they would do is they would pair all the time, They would collaborate really well every day and they just figured out they would work on the stories. They were small. So I I don't think there's like one way of doing it. Just think it depends on the situation and it depends on the team, which I know is a very consultant answer. All right. So now I'm, now I'm curious. It sounds like this is the Troy beat up Troy hour, which is not the the case, but I think it's because Troy, you threw out down like a really interesting and independent idea, or at least one that I'm not familiar with. So let's say you get to the end of the day and say, Hey, we didn't quite make the board look the way we went to, or the next day you say, Hey, why didn't the board look this way? You know, so we talk about it and we iterate and we ideate and we, you know, inspect and adapt kind of a thing. Like, how do you keep track? I mean, so I could see if I'm putting my devil's advocate head on, like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of stuff sure. to keep track of. Right. So like, if you're the scrum master, like, how do you keep track of all that? Uh, well, if you're co-located, it's kind of, to me, I just would just write it up on a board, right? Like every day, write what the changes are, write what we're trying to accomplish. If you're not co-located, then whatever tool you're using, if you're using wiki, if you're using confluence, whatever you use every day, and I would just reference it. So as a scrum master, I, I would bring it right up right before the meeting even started, make it visible, you know, if it's not co-located, right? And reference it. So talk about like, how did this go? You know, how do we do? And it doesn't have to be, like I said, most of the time, it's not going to be huge changes. It's going to be very minimal stuff. And a lot of times it's going to be process-based as far as how are we working together more stuff. And then there also might be impediments, which as a Scrum Master, you know, you can, that that's something that you can take care of and, and work on with. So it might be another way of, of revealing impediments that might be different than just answering the three questions as well. There's a, another technique that I'm reminded of that, that may play into this daily retro technique, and I forget where I got it from. It's called snake on the board. And if you have a physical board and you're co-located, anytime one of these issues come up, post-it note goes on the bottom of the board, just as a reminder for the team and to bring with us to retro. 
what slowed us down, what tripped us up, what in this case that you're using, Troy, what kept us from getting the board to look like we thought it was going to look. So you get a visual indicator, forgot to pair, so-and-so wasn't available, so-and-so didn't check their code in. And that might be one way, Merm, of keeping track and seeing the patterns. Eventually, if the board gets covered in these problems, you might as well stop working on stories and and abandon the sprint and start solving the impediments. It's like a, a whip limit for your retro. <laughs> What Troy threw down, I'm, I'm absolutely trying on the very next program that I, that I coach. That said, the challenge for me as a coach and or, or someone that's coaching Scrum Masters, like, wow, that could potentially be a different change a day. Or um, how do we, how do we, you know, to your point, Andy, how do we keep track of all that? Are we trying any of these things? Are we just saying we're going to do it? And I think that that kind of gets to the Regardless of whether you do a daily retro or a weekly retro, bi-weekly, tri-weekly, whatever, like, or you do a retro once a month, or you even go back to the six-month lessons learned thing, right? Like, it doesn't matter. If you speak your mind and you don't do anything, eventually you're going to stop speaking your mind because you're like, what's the point of speaking up? Right. Absolutely. So many retros end that way, right? With a beautiful, long action list, and then the next cycle. So what do we get done on that action list? Nothing. Okay, let's have another retro. Let's have some more action lists. I, I agree with you, Merm, that if it's all talk and no action, it stalls. So you do need a whip limit, but I, I come back to make it visible. It's been a while since I did a snake on the board because we've gone all digital, but we had a team. We also we also had a can. Anytime somebody felt they had slayed one of those problems, we had quite the ceremonial crank of the note up and put it in the the can, which we then took to the retro to say, look at all the shit we fixed. That's awesome. I like that a lot. So maybe the combo of the two, you know, the the daily future look instead of the standard three questions, plus some way of tracking the pain that that got in the way. And uh, another favorite part of of retros for me is the celebration aspect. It's not all about Oh my God, what's right. all that's wrong? It is, what do we want to celebrate? A, a big part of my retros is who's got kudos to share? Yep. I use that a lot too. Um, Andy, uh, that kudo box from, um, from Management 3.0. Yeah. Another another good one is that happiness door. That's if you're, if you're co-located, that's a really cool technique to use that. And, and you can even check out some of that stuff daily instead of just at the retro. I just want to go back real quick to what you guys were saying about following up on these action items. Because one of the, the things that I've been really working on with a few of my teams has been um, keeping all of our retro action items and notes um, from more than one retro visible. So using those giant stickies, um, I've kind of commandeered a wall where we do our retros. Um, so we can see back for the last four to six sprints of what we've talked about. And I really like being able to look back more than just one sprint for these. And I think what's been helpful is, um, you know, we've had, like, for example, I've got one team for the last three retros. So for the last six weeks, we have said, we need to make sure there's higher quality of the stories before QA picks them up because we're finding too many defects. And in the last retro where that came up, I said, okay, this has been one of our top action items for the last three sprints and it continues to be a problem. How can we reframe this action item so that we can put it, you know, actually see change happen from it? And so I don't think it's necessarily bad when the team doesn't, you know, doesn't 
doesn't get their action items all done initially, sometimes it challenges them to um, reframe them in a way that's more actionable or more achievable or or more specific. But I think it's hard to see that sometimes when we're only looking back two weeks. How do you track how long something's been up there? Do, do you dot it? How many cycles it's been through? Or, or some other visual way to say, this issue's been here, one, two, three, four, four retros. What's going on? I just date each page. So each page has the retro notes and then the action items, initials next, you know, who's going to follow up on each action item. And then I circle them if we didn't get them done and I cross them off if we did at the next retro. So you can kind of see over time, we've kind of built this long timeline of all the things that keep carrying over so that we can really highlight those and say, what's not working? Like this continues to be the same problem, retro after retro after retro. What do we need to do to actually fix this? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we're talking about this because... I guarantee it took us 20, 21 and a half minutes to get to it. But like, I guarantee you everybody that's listening to this is still listening to this is either a scrum master or a coach. That's like, how do I get my teams to like actually cross off the things they want to do? So like Colleen just listed her favorite items. Like personally, I, I, I think that we all have our own ways of kind of encouraging teams to, to do this. Uh, you know, my, my personal thought is, I mean, I, I don't like beating teams over the heads when they don't meet or they don't, they don't cross items off the list. Like I, I follow up with scrum masters, like one-on-one to say like, Hey, have you noticed like how many, like how many of the things you think the teams have crossed off? Because if we're doing our job in retros, we're actually coming out with something actionable and measurable. And we know we've actually accomplished some kind of a thing. But if we, if we celebrate, we celebrate together. Uh, I, I don't tend to beat teams up together. I tend to say like, I start with the scrum master and if they say, I don't know, let's talk to the team about it. Well, then we'll do it. But if I'm coaching them, I, 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 I'm just not a giant fan of beating them up. I, I, maybe that's, maybe that's meeting hard enough on them or, or I, I don't. Sounds like you're nicer to them than you are to us. Yeah. What gives man? Well, you all don't deserve it, um, first off, except you, Colleen, because you're just sweet as candy. No one's ever said that before. I know. And no, and I, that's why I'm saying, like, someone started that in the anniversary episode, and I was like, well, I don't, because you're female, I guess you're the nicest one, and I don't I don't understand that. I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I don't like, maybe my, my struggle is, is I don't like beating teams up. I, I would rather them beat themselves up, and so I, if I can just present the information, and if they choose to beat themselves up, they they do, and if they don't, then, man, they're not really ready for it. I don't know. I don't think it's about carrots and sticks necessarily. Becoming more effective means improving from iteration to iteration. So that does not necessarily meaning finishing an action item. An action item or an experiment that came out of a retro could have done nothing. It could have not improved the team. I think the challenge is to make the improvement visible from retro to retro, to share how things are getting better. And if the team hasn't figured out how to, to find those metrics, maybe that's the coach's or the scrum master's job to say, you know, this experiment, I, I think it ties into something here. Let's let's see if we can amplify what we, we did and see if that continues to improve. And then you, you get this reinforcing loop I think in the team. So what you're describing is what you're describing is improvement that may or may not relate to the previous retro items. Like improvement can be 
holistic regardless of whether it meets the previous measurable goal. Yes? I don't know. <laughs> I thought that's what I heard you describe. Did you, did, all right, so tell me, Colleen, Troy, did I, did I hear something different or did you all hear what I heard? Cue crickets. Colleen, either. Yeah. <laughs> Say that one more time. Yeah, see, exactly. It was too many words, too long <laughs> at this hour in the day for all yes, of us. Yes, so. I know. And I've had whiskey. Um, how, how about if I try again? Go ahead. Go ahead, Andy. Our teams should not be calling themselves agile teams if they aren't improving from iteration to iteration. And if continuous improvement isn't visible and sustainable, it's going to peter out. If there's something about the environment that that um, doesn't give the team the control necessary to make the changes they want, maybe that's what gets focused on next. But it, I really think that a healthy team uh, thrives on continuous improvement. Chris, if I can just jump in here, because you were asking about how there was there was a difference of how do we get them to do it, the carrots and sticks thing, and we're talking about different approaches to it. So just a tip I have for anyone listening. Um, obviously, if you're still listening to this, you're interested in this topic. So um, agile teams are self-organizing, and self-organization doesn't come overnight. And just because someone says you're self-organizing now doesn't mean you're actually self-organizing. Right? So in order for them to improve they have to keep each other honest and accountable for their own things and without management telling them to do it and in order for that to happen they kind of have to be guided and coached on how to be uh, self-organizing in fact that's um one of the first responsibilities of a scrum master is coaching a team in self-organization so um one of the tips i have for that is establish working agreements and not i'm not talking about our sprints are going to end on Tuesdays. I'm talking about things that the team is going to hold each other up and hold each other accountable for internally. So one of the ways I'd like to facilitate that is to ask the team members, what can they bring on the, bring to the team that the team members can count on them for? So it's kind of like this format of where you can count on me to do something, right? And then they'll write it like on a sticky note. So you can count on me and it's usually... You know, sometimes they'll write technical stuff, but a lot of times it's more about how team dynamic stuff. What am, what can I bring to the team, right? And then we take all those things, put them on a board, have the team members go up to that board now. They have everyone's sticky notes up there and prioritize the things that they feel like should be whole team things that they would like the whole team to hold each other accountable to. And then review those at retros. So, for instance, a good one is Josh Karowski's got this term um, who's... Uh, modernagile.org is his website if you're interested in some of the stuff. And he's got this term called um, mean time to conflict resolution. And it's all about psychological safety. And it's talking about the health. You can tell the health of a team by the average time it takes to resolve a conflict. I usually start off the conversation talking about this kind of stuff. And that's what we're looking for when it comes to working agreements. And so actually one of the, the last time I did this last week, um, no, two weeks ago, that was actually one of the team teams kind of working agreements was that, you know, you, you can count on me to resolve or bring up uncomfortable things 
without hesitation. That was something that they agreed that they were going to hold each other accountable to in, in retros. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. That's fantastic. So that kind of stuff. So hopefully uh, this is this, this team I'm talking about, which was two weeks ago, this was a particular thing that they came up with and they're going to hold each other accountable to it. So once they start doing that stuff, then items, specific items like technical things or whatever, to, to me, that'll be easier to, to do because if they're holding each other accountable for uh, without management or anyone tell them to do it, that's the key. So uh, that's a tip. That's something I like to facilitate those working. Troy, that, that's a great experiment. And, and you create an environment that's safe so people can be honest. Troy, that's, I love that. You create this environment of safety where people can be honest with each other about what's working, what isn't working. And that is just so powerful. And, and then it solves your problem, Merm. You don't have to yell at people. They'll yell at themselves. And they'll celebrate the successes. And they'll look at the failures. And they'll learn something from it. That, to me, I think gets at the heart of this principle. Right. It's at regular intervals, it's not the scrum master beats the team into being more effective. It's the team reflects. They look at themselves in the mirror yeah. and, and they trust their compatriots to point out the blind spots or areas where they might be tripping up. And then everybody tunes and adjusts accordingly. There's one more piece of this, and then I know we need to wrap up, but like there's one more piece of this that I'm curious for Colleen and Troy's insight is the number of times that I've been sitting across from a scrum master and they're like, and I say, okay, how do you know you're going to get better at the thing you all decided on in retro? And they go, what do you mean? And I say, well, you can't just like go on feeling, right? Like you feel that you're communicating better in stand up. Like, how do you know you're communicating better? How do you know that you're more connected with the business? I, I found that's my biggest challenge is my encouragement to scrum masters to say, keep pressing until you get something measurable. So how do you all do it? I think I, I think I may have talked about this in a previous podcast and it, and it definitely ties back to, to the company that I founded Scatterspoke, but um, we created kind of five categories just based on reviewing a buttload of data that we had collected on all the different types of cards that people were posting in retros and, buttload. you know, looking a buttload. That is a unit of measure. <laughs> um, is it metric or, or imperial? <laughs> it's a metric shit ton. So when we went through and looked at all these cards, what we found is that a lot of them were just very observational in nature, which is makes things hard to improve on. It makes things very subjective. Um, and it, and it's hard to pull action, you know, actions from a lot of those things. It can also, I think, contribute to that feeling of your retro being a, a bitch session, for lack of a better word, or feeling like everybody's just taking an opportunity to vent. Um, so I think that's healthy. But what we came up with were the other, other types of data that you need to collect, and that's um, stats. So just actual metrics and data events. So what things happened during this, during this sprint. And that can be as simple as we had, you know, we were down somebody for three days because of a holiday weekend or something. Observations are still included there. And then kudos. 
and um, and then past retros. So looking back to past retros to see, are we having the same conversation over and over again? So I usually write those five categories on the board and ask everybody to post at least one sticky in each category so that we're getting a distribution of those different data types. And it really helps, I think, to give people a moment to pause and say, I might say, I feel like we got less done less this sprint than last sprint. Um, but if I'm looking at those categories, I might reframe the way I'm posting that um, sticky up to say, we got 13 less story points done this sprint than last sprint. So that I'm, I'm rooting it with stats. Um, so I think encouraging the team to try to really spread out the type of data that they're posting as a group can help give you more actionable things to improve, impro- improve upon. That's great. And I want to challenge you, Carl. If, if you say we got 13 less done this sprint, are you scolding them? No, I, you know, I would, I wouldn't, um, I actually wouldn't put that up there at all. I would have the team put that up. Um, but if they, you know, if they were saying, you know, it feels like things got faster, or we're communicating better, maybe asking like, what, what evidence did you see that makes you think that? Or um, were there any events, the sprint that led you to that conclusion? Asking for metrics back to, back to Merm's question. Yeah. Cause sometimes getting more effectively doesn't mean faster, harder. It just means better, which could mean slower, could mean less. Right. Yeah. Better quality. Two, two, two questions. Uh, Troy, if we had to challenge our listeners regarding uh, this inspect and adapt principle, what would you suggest? Challenge. Um, challenge our listeners regarding this one. Yeah, I would say the first thing to do is, um, well, if you're already having you know regular cadence retros, Try doing mini ones every day. Just see, give it a shot. You know, try doing some type of continuous improvement instead of just two week improvement cycles. Right. Just give it a shot and see how it goes. And you know, it might be painful at first, but <laughs> just it's just like anything. You know, it takes time. Marm, if we had to redo the actual carol, twelve drummers drumming, how would you title this step in the context of an agile team? <laughs> I know it's your favorite. Trying to get my, I'm trying to get my singing voice ready. Mm, Twelve unresolved metrics. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, if this agile coaching stuff doesn't work out, we're going to kick up a band. Merman the Scrums. Well, thank you, Merman, Troy, Colleen. It's been a blast, and and to our audience, we hope you enjoyed tuning in to as many of these as we did making them. And I want to remind you that support from listeners like you make podcasts like this possible. Check out our show notes to see how you can become a patron of the Agile Uprising for less than the cost of a single craft beer. Happy holidays. That's all for tonight. Hope there's great presents under the tree.